you've not been with us for the last couple of weeks, that is what we're looking at. We're looking at actually what does it look like for us to be faithful and to really move into fruitfulness. And, you know, the, the whole aim of this series, and we're going to keep saying it, is not a fundraising drive. Like, we're not after your money. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. Um, but it's this understanding, it's this verse in Luke 16 where Jesus is told this parable about, um, about money. He says, Listen, if you've not been faithful with handling worldly wealth... How will you be trusted with true spiritual riches? And that's what we're after. Actually, the things that Susie shared and encouraged is actually seeing people who don't know Jesus meet him, you know, seeing people healed, seeing people like last week and the week before give their lives to Jesus. Like, this is what we're going after. That's what we're about. Actually, there's true spiritual riches. And so I want, I want for us to see that connection. Actually, everything that Susie shared is directly linked. You know, God says, actually, if we learn and grow to be faithful, actually we get trusted with, with the really important stuff, which is people's lives and eternal destiny. So that's what we're about. And so I want to take this week, um, I want to take one more week to look at tithing. Um, Phil started last week and, um, and looked at this passage in, in the Old Testament in Malachi 3, um, where God lays out this principle of, of giving the first fruits. It's like this foundational, like let's get first things first with our finances and this understanding of the tithe, which is giving of the, the first part of our finances, the first 10%. And so we see these three things. We see the principle where God lays out quite clearly in the Old Testament that actually the first fruit, so the first part of your increase, and in those days it was you know, mostly farmers, so it would be animals or crops, but actually the first part is it's actually holy. It's to be set apart. It belongs to God, and he's quite specific about what we should do with that. Then we see this as a practice, and in the Old Testament under the Jewish law it was I kind of, there was some structure put around this principle and that there, the expectation was in the Jewish law that the first 10% would be given to the Lord. But there's this incredible promise attached to it. So we see the principle of giving the first fruits, we see the practice of the tithe, and then the promise of you know, God blessing us abundantly as we'd be faithful in those things. And I want us to kind of, I want to look at that again, but um, I really want to look at it in the context of, okay, we're in the new covenant now. Um, because there are definitely, you know, definitely there are questions that I think it's worth us looking at. People say, well, that was in the Old Testament. That was part of the Old Covenant, so that doesn't now apply to me. And even the language that, um, it's strong language God uses in Malachi 3. And so I'm gonna, let me read it to you, verses 9 and 10. It says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Like, that's, that's strong language, right? And our in, you know, one of the things we say is, hang on a minute, doesn't it say in Galatians that Jesus has freed us from the curse of the law? Absolutely, he has. And so I want us to look at what, what does that mean for us as New Covenant, New Testament believers? And I'm, like sometimes it'd be like, you know, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, right? And you think, God, if you'd have just put that two pages to the right, we wouldn't have those questions. But I think they're important questions to ask because I want us to look at what does it look like? What does tithing mean? in the new covenant. Is that all right? So we're going to take another week on it. Let me pray for you and, um, and then we'll, we'll jump right on in. God, I want to thank you for what you're doing in us and with us as a church family. God, we are so excited and so thankful that we are seeing people come to know you, that we are seeing people get healed, that we are seeing people have transformation in their relationships. God, that is what we want. We want your kingdom to come. We want your name to be lifted up. Um, and God, we, we recognize and we acknowledge that actually being faithful with finance is part, is part of us moving forward in that. So would you help us, um, help us to hear from you this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty. So let me read a couple of verses, Malachi 3 again. Verse 9, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So essentially there's this choice God's laying out. He's saying right now you're under a curse. And he says actually if you're obedient with the tithe, on the other side of that obedience is blessing. And Phil was talking last week about, you know, well, I'm uncomfortable with that language, curse. He's like, well, even if we dilute that down a little bit. So on the other side of my obedience is blessing. On the other side of my not obedience is not blessing. And actually, it's a choice. I think that's what God is laying out. It's a choice. And he says, test me in this. This is what I'm saying. Test me. Uh, and, but the question I think is important is, is any of that relevant to us in the new covenant, right? It's part of the Jewish law. But is that relevant to us? I think that's a valid question. Um, and I want to say, listen, there are some people who land in different places, and I'm absolutely never going to stand here and tell you what to do and what to think. I'm not. Um, but I want to encourage us to think and to look into it. Um, and I, but I will put out there, like my, like my conviction is that, yes, I think tithing is still part of a healthy Christian life in the New Covenant. But I want to kind of help us maybe understand what that looks like. Is that all right? Because this is the difference, essentially, one of the, the simple difference since Jesus, this new way of God relating to mankind is, listen, it is now not about what do I have to do? Like, what should I do in terms of this list of requirements? Like, it's not it. The question is, what am I able to do? What am I empowered by grace to be able to do? And honestly, the behavior might look very different. But the motivation is very different. Like, what do I have to do? And what am I empowered to do? And that, that's the question. I believe this is a faith journey, and it's entirely marked with grace. It's actually that there is grace for you and I to align ourselves with God's principles and therefore fully enter in to his promise. But it's a choice. It's absolutely a choice we, we're empowered to do. I do not think it is an obligation that we are, you know, fear-bound to, you know, tick box, I have to. Um, so it, the essential, I think, the thing I want to look at first is this. Is tithing, is this about an unchanging principle of an unchanging God, or is it part of the Jewish law that I can now leave? The first thing let's look at is this, is actually, yes, it was part of Jewish law, but actually we see it before the law. So it predates the Jewish law. So I'm, my, my thought is, listen, it was there before the law. The, the law kind of almost put some structure around these principles. But actually, if it was there before, I wonder whether it continues after, which is, which is where I would land. But let me look at, let's look at three things in the Old Testament. And this is before God gave the law, okay? So we have this um, situation with Abraham, okay, in Genesis 14. Abraham has just come back from um, defeating a king. So he's been in a battle and he's rescued his relatives and he's got all of this stuff back. So he's coming back and he meets this chap called Melchizedek, um, who is both the king of Salem and also a high priest. So he's a king and a priest. And Paul tells us in Hebrews 2, he talks about Melchizedek and compares Jesus to him. And Melchizedek is one of those, remember we talked when we were looking at Haggai about Old Testament types, right? And so the, the temple that God was building in Haggai is a type of the new temple, which is you and I that God's building. It's like we see whispers of things in the Old Testament that are to come in the new. So Melchizedek is sort of a type of Jesus. Um, and so Abraham meets him, this king, this priest, and his response is it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So this is before the law, wasn't 
an obligation. It wasn't sort of anything that was expected of Abraham. But there's this, to me, it's like there's this response of honour when he meets this king and high priest and his response is, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. So that's the first time we see it, well before the law. Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, two brothers, a shepherd and a farmer. Okay, you know the story, it ends badly. So Abel is a shepherd and they both bring an offering to God. Abel is a shepherd, so brings um, some of his flock. Cain works the land and bought some of his fruit. And the Lord looked, it says in the Bible, the Lord looked with favour upon Abel and his offering, but not on Cain and his offering, which kind of was why. Like, what, what was the difference? You know, is, like, God likes lamb. He's not so pleased with cabbage and carrots. Like, it's just not... Like, I don't think that's what it is at all. Um, I, I don't think it's about what was brought. I think it was the motivation and the heart behind what was brought. Because if you read um, in the Amplified Version, of it, it says this phrase about Abel's offering, the shepherd. It says, Abel brought an offering of the finest firstborn of his flock. He didn't just bring something, he brought the thing, the thing, not just something. So in our giving, don't just give something, actually give the thing. And, and so Abel had tapped into this understanding about, actually, I'm going to give some of the first fruits and the best. Um, actually, out of recognition for what God is worth. I think Abraham's response of giving a tenth was out of honor, recognizing the honor on Melchizedek. I think in this situation, it's a recognition of worth. Actually, God, you're worth me giving my first and my best, not just something. I want you to give my best. And then the third time we see it is in Genesis 28 with Jacob. So Jacob's traveling through, comes to this place and has this dream. And in the dream, he meets God, has this incredible encounter and sees angels going up and down. And, and God kind of affirms again his covenant promise. So he says, I'm going to bless you and through your line, all people will be blessed. So he, he has this, he meets with God. He has this encounter with God and, and this, um, ref, this revelation again, this reaffirmation of God's plan, his purpose, his promise. And again, Jacob's response is to give. Let me read you verses 21, 22. This is Jacob speaking when he wakes up and he wakes up. He's like, gosh, surely God is in this place. He's like, I've, I've met with the Lord. The profound encounter, and he says this, the Lord will be my God. This stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Again, just to stress the point, before the law, wasn't what was required, wasn't what was expected. It was a response from encountering God. I'll give you a tenth of everything. So three keys, you know, a response of honor, a response of recognizing the worth of God, and a response of understanding his plan and his purpose and his promise, all three of them had the same response. I'm going to give. I'm going to give my first fruits. I'm going to give this tenth. And it's before the law. So the requirement wasn't there. So I think this is saying, listen, there is a principle that so that God, God puts these stories in the Bible for a reason because he wants to reveal about his heart and his plan for us. So it's this principle of what God honors and blesses in his people. It goes back before, well before the law. So I wonder if it continues after. And I think God would indicate this in that Malachi 3 verse where he's talking about, you know, challenging Israel to bring the whole tithe in. As he starts it off, he says, I'm the Lord and I do not change. There's something like that, that don't change. But then we see this, this principle actually does become formalized, if you like. Right? Actually, it does become part of the law um, in the law books of the Bible. So if we move into the New Testament, um, what does the New Testament say about tithing? And honestly, not a right lot. 
I guess there's not loads in the New Testament about tithing. There's lots about giving. There's lots about generosity. There's lots about reaping and sowing and all. But in tithing specifically, the, the New Testament doesn't say much about it. So what we've got to understand is that then we're in a position of, alrighty, how do I handle what is in the Old Testament law as a New Testament believer? Right? That makes sense. Like, what does that look like? Because Jesus says, he said, listen, I didn't come to cancel the law. I came to fulfill it. It's not passing away. Um, and so I, one thing that helps me is, listen, I believe all of the Bible. I believe all the Bible is the, is the word of the Lord. So I believe the Old Testament and all of the old law and even, you know, the weird bits of the law, which I do not understand, I still believe that's God's word to me. But, I, but some of those things are no longer God's specific command to us. Does that make sense? It's his word for us, not necessarily all of it, his word to us. So let, there are certain parts of the the law that we read in the Old Testament that absolutely carries on through the cross and is entirely still valid for us now, like the Ten Commandments, those things are reaffirmed and taught on again in the New Testament. Like, that stuff all remains, okay? But there are some things that aren't. Just as, you know, one example, there's very specific food laws in the Old Testament that, you know, God, and this was all, all of that was about God saying, listen, you are a chosen people. You have to look different to the peoples around you. And then it was very specific what that would look like. So there were a whole list of foods which were unclean and the, and the people of Israel were not to eat. So Peter in the New Testament, he's a Jewish man, but, you know, believer of Jesus, follower of Jesus, um, has this vision where this sheep comes down. He sees all these unclean animals um, and he hears this voice saying, get up and eat. He's like, no, like that, no, that is unclean. And the Lord says to him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. So then it, there's something very specific, like, alrighty, those things we read about in the Old Testament law, God very clearly says, that's now different, right? There are other things, you know, don't, be, don't get a tattoo. I know plenty of people, my husband included, who have tattoos. And I think that's fine. I don't, like, so you've got to understand, there's some stuff that God specifically said... And again, it was to a specific people in a specific time. The, the tricky thing for us is what was for a specific people for a specific time, and I leave there, what is absolutely an unchanging principle of the Lord that I need to take with me? Um, that's what we've got to work out, all right? Does that make sense? Where does tithing land? Do I leave it back there? Do I take it with me? And I've told you, like, my conviction is I take it with me. Um, and the one thing Jesus does say about tithing when he uses that word specifically, for me, I think makes it quite clear. Um, so, you know, as a principle, anything we read in the Old Testament that we see reaffirmed in the New, stick with it. That's like, I kind of, I like to keep things simple. That makes sense in my head. So Matthew 23, let me read you this. This is Jesus going after the Pharisees. Um, you know, anyone who thinks this kind of picture of Jesus, you know, meek and mild and wouldn't say boo to a goose. Like, he, you read Matthew 23, he goes after them. Let me read you this. It says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, this is wonderful, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I love it. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you are tithing like to the letter, even your spices, like, you know, going through your spice rack, like nine teaspoons for Sarah, one teaspoon for Jesus, like, like to the minutiae, you know, dotting every I, crossing every T, that he's saying you're doing 
all of that to the letter, but you're missing the way more important thing, which is a heart attitude of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But notice what he doesn't say is stop doing the tithing and just sort your heart out. He says you should have practiced the latter, the latter being justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former. For me, I think that's Jesus affirming the tithe. He's saying, yes, keep doing that, but the way more important thing is your heart attitude. Just doing the behavior, keeping the law, is not it. That's not what God's after. He's after your heart, but that that is going to affect our behavior. But it's about understanding, listen, am I going to keep the spirit of the law or the letter of the law? And the Pharisees were experts at keeping the letter of the law, right? Doing, you know, faultless in keeping the letter of the law, even down to tithing their spices, but entirely missing the spirit of the law. So Jesus says, listen, the whole of the law can be summed up in this, love God, love people. And the Pharisees weren't doing that. So he's like, you can keep tithing for the next 60 years. That's not it. That's not the thing. The spirit of the law is love and honor and trust God. So what does the spirit of the law look like for me and my finances and tithing? Not the letter of the law, duty, obligation, ticket off, Sarah. What, it, like, what does it look like for me to love and honor and trust God with my finances? And for me, that looks like tithing, bringing their first fruits. I think that principle is still there that we see in these Old Testament encounters we've looked at. I think the promise, you know, test me in this and I will bless you so much, you're actually not going to know what to do with it. I think that promise remains. What's different is in the middle, okay? So Old Testament, the principle is there, the promise is there. In the middle is the practice, the codified, the formalized law in terms of this is what's required of you. What's different for us is what's in the middle. I think the principle remains, the promise still stands, but what's different in the middle is grace, not law. Okay, that's what I want to look at. What would a grace-filled and grace-fueled approach to tithing look like for you and I? Because that's what God is after, I believe. So I see tithing as a choice, like I honestly do, but it's a choice that is empowered by grace. It's a choice where I get to choose to align myself with the biblical principle of trusting God, honoring God, bringing my first fruits, and trusting him with the rest. So should we still tithe? My understanding my belief is yes do we have to tithe probably you could say no we don't have to but honestly that's the wrong question like we've we are in a new covenant but so many of us still have an old covenant way of thinking which is what do I have to do and what am I not allowed to do we have a rules-based understanding it's the wrong question the right question is what does grace transform my mind, change my heart? What does grace empower me to do, to be able to do? But it will, and it may well look like some of the things that we're encouraged behavior-wise, practice-wise, in the old covenant, but it's so different what's in the middle, and this is what I want us to go after. It's not about what do I have to do, it's about what am I empowered to do in order to know the abundance of life, life in all its fullness, which is what Jesus has promised for us. That's the deal. But it isn't, like grace, I could talk about grace forever. It's my favorite thing to talk about. It isn't a free card to live how I like. Okay, the Bible is really clear. Romans chapter 6, Paul says it. You are not under the law, you are under grace. Okay, we are 
thank you, Jesus. We are not under the law. So me being accepted by God and being found acceptable to him is not based on the, the list of what I have done and what I haven't done. It's not. It's all grace. It's not anything I take credit for. It's nothing I have to earn and it never will be. And I'm so thankful for that. It's grace. But that doesn't mean... Grace is a free card to live how I like, and I will pick and choose the bits that I like. So, th- so this idea of, okay, how do I, as a new covenant believer, how do I handle the Old Testament law? Listen, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. So that means it's a pick and choose. So I would like to have a tattoo and bacon sandwiches, so I'm going to leave that in the Old Testament, but the Old Covenant. Um, but I'd also, I'd like to sleep around, and I want to be a champion gossip, and, I, you know, and actually I don't really want to be that honest. And so, but I'm under grace, so that stuff doesn't matter. And actually, really don't want to tithe. I'd write to keep all my money. And also, I definitely don't want to fast. So I'm going to leave that. And I'm under grace, not under the law. Right? I know that's... I'm making an extreme statement. But can you see there's this, this danger is that actually our understanding of looking at the, f- the full word of God is that actually, yes, we're not under the law, but that doesn't mean we can just leave the bits we don't like because it's all grace. That's what was happening in Romans. That's why Paul says in the beginning of Romans, he's like, you know, so therefore, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Therefore, should we keep on sinning? And he says in like seven different ways in Romans chapter six, no, 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 you're dead to sin. So grace is not a get out and it's not that there is now a pick and mix that I like that bit of the old covenant, but not that bit. I like that verse, but it's not it. It actually empowers us to live a different way. And if we're going down this grace line, listen, just as a caution, if, if we're going down that line, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, and so I don't, you know, so, and we apply that to tithing, I would just point out to you, listen, under grace, the standard's higher. Okay, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking, and he says this, you've heard it said, do not murder. Okay, that's the old covenant, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You've heard it said, do not murder. murder. I say, if you even look, you know, if you held anger in your heart, it's the same thing, right? Higher standard. The old standard, the letter of law, is don't actually kill somebody. That would be bad. New standard in a grace kingdom is don't even hold resentment and anger towards a brother or sister. It's a higher standard. Likewise, Jesus, same chapter. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. It's a way higher standard, the Pharisees were stuck in a, what can I technically do or not do? But Jesus is calling them to way, way higher standard, which is what is going on the inside? And so actually dealing with lust means then you'll never, ever commit adultery, but not out of a legalistic keep the letter of the law, but out of a transformed heart and life. It's like, why would I ever want to? Because I want to walk in the fullness of what God has for me. So if we're applying that to tithing, I'm not under the law, which said I have to tithe 10%. I'm under grace, which is a higher standard. I mean, just do the maths. Arguably, that, that's higher, guys. So you might want to get under the old covenant. I'm joking. Don't. But grace is a higher standard. The other thing that regularly kind of people would ask that question in that Malachi 3 verse, um, you know, that your whole nation is under a curse. You know, are we saying that actually if, we, you know, if we're not bringing the tithe in that we are cursed? Because hang on, doesn't in Galatians 3.13 it say Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law? Yes, he has. A hundred times and for eternity. Yes, he has, for all time. He absolutely has freed us from the curse. But listen, we have to choose to line ourselves up to, to gain the benefits of being free from the curse, right? We're, we're free from the curse of sin and the curse of the law. But again, that doesn't mean that then it's, it's a free-for-all. Actually, if we choose 
to not align ourselves with what Jesus has done and the standard that he's put in place, we cannot expect to reap blessing. We're going to reap not blessing or cursing. Like if I am going to have multiple affairs and not expect to reap some dysfunction and pain and heartache in my marriage and family, I'm kidding myself. I'm putting myself back into a position where it's cursed and it's not life. Whereas actually if I line myself up and empowered by grace to live fully in accordance with God's standards, then I'm going to be blessed. And it's the same with our finances. But it is a test. It's the, one, it's the thing God very specifically, I think it's the only time he says it, test me in this, in Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe in. Test me in it. And I'm, literally you're not going to know what to do with the blessing that comes your way. But it is a test. And listen, this is what I want to say. It's not a test of behavior. This is what I'm saying. Listen, this series is not a fundraiser. God is not after your money and nor am I. Genuinely, our church finances are better than they've ever been. This is a test of our hearts. Where are we going to position our hearts? That's what God's after. He is not interested in behavior change. Like he's not. He's interested in having your heart. And when your heart is fully hid, your behavior will change. But it has to be that way around. And so it's this understanding with our finances. Okay, do, do I see it as mine? When it, when it really comes to it, do I see myself as an owner or a steward of the things that God's given me? And we can say it. We can say all the right things. Oh, I'm a steward. I just want to. But actually, the test is, well, what does that look like? And tithing is a test, right? 10% is a fair whack of your, it's a fairly significant proportion of your money, right? It is a test and it's a faith journey. But I want to tell you, the consistent testimony of folks who have for years and years and years trusted God and tithed is it works. God's faithful. Like he does, he is who he says he is and he does do what he says he'll do. So test him in it. That's, that's the challenge. But not because you have to. Like, I want us to do away with this behavior. It's actually what we're empowered to do. Like, I don't, like, it's not a law that you have to obey. For me, tithing is a life-giving principle that I get to walk in. But the behavior is the same at the other end. Those of you who have kids, you'll, you'll, um, you'll understand this. So in our house, washing up is the kid's job. Um, so at the end of the dinner, it's like, Luke, abs, come on. Dishes time. And sometimes we get the, oh, this is so unfair. I did it yesterday. I'm like a slave. <laughs> sometimes that's the response we get. Now, at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm not budging. I'm like, yeah, but I'm mum. This is dad. This is our family. You guys are doing the dishes. So I think the dishes are going to get done, regardless of the attitude and the heart response. But listen, it's so different when it's like, hey, okay, dishes time. And they're like, okay, great. Mum, dad, you want a cup of tea while we're doing it? And do you know what that happened? I'm, I'm going to champion my kids. Sometimes we get the, oh, Kevin the teenager. Sometimes we're like, okay, would you like a cup of tea? Like the same behavior happens. My dishes still get washed and dried and put away. But I'm not after the behavior. I'm after, I'm after connection with my kids. I'm after doing life and family and fullness, which is, listen, we're all in. I can't help thinking God's the same. Like he is not after our begrudging, oh, I've got a tithe. <laughs> He's not after that. Like he, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. But it's way better to give him your heart and mind and say, God, I trust you and I delight in you. And so here's my tithe. It's way, way better. That's what he's after. So I want to encourage us. Listen, this is not, it's not a behavior modification thing that God's after. It isn't that. But the reality is it's, it's a change in our hearts often. 
it's a renewal in our thinking, often, that will result in a change in our behaviour. But that's the way round, and it is empowered by grace, not required and demanded by law, and a sort of a, a fearful, well, if I don't, what's going to happen? And I'm, listen, I want to be brutally honest with you. Phil and I have always tithed, and for a long, long time, I did it with a, with a wrong attitude and heart entirely. Honestly, really pretty pharisaical. I was like, well, I have to. This is just the rules. You, you just have to tithe. But doing it from a position of probably resentfully, very fearfully, ooh, I'm not sure things are going to add up. And if I'm brutally honest, and I'm genuinely free from this so I can say it without any shame, honestly, it points to the point where I was like, God, well, I'm tithing, so you owe me. Which, I mean, it's a ridiculous thing to say. I'm tithing, so, you, like, well, you... I'm like, I, ridiculous. But I'm not, like, I'm not there. And genuinely... I, please, I'm not saying any of that to say, well, look how faithful Phil and Sarah have been. No, just look how faithful God's been. Like, he's always provided for us. And genuinely, I'm in a different space now. I'm like, it's life to me, not legal requirement to me. It's a way nicer place to be. And can I say this? I am convinced that actually us getting into a healthy place with our finances, handling our finances with integrity and maturity in order to be trusted with the spiritual riches and to be trusted with influencing Manchester, which is that's the goal. Listen, we are never going to get there if we are still stuck in orphan thinking. If we don't understand what it is to be adopted, cherished, sons and daughters, that that becomes a reality, not just songs we sing about and lingo we hear other people talk about, but understanding that is actually the truth having a genuine encounter with a Father God and knowing I am a daughter with an inheritance. I have the backing of heaven. If, our, if we're stuck in orphan experience and thinking, it's going to be, I don't think it's an oversight, it's going to be impossible for us to walk in health in our finances. I think those two things are super connected. And we're going to, I want us to look at that in a few weeks in other parts of the series. Actually, coming out of orphan thinking, and finances is a massive way it shows up. So, this morning, I want us to pray. And, and I want to say, listen, there's, there's three things that I think we, you know, for some people here, it's like, do you know what? Actually, it, for me, actually, it is now just a behavior change. I get it. I, I understand it. I, I understand the principle. My heart is God. I want to trust you. And I, do you know what? I just need to jump in. I just need to start that adventure of giving. Um, and listen, I want to say this to you. Just start somewhere, right? It's the same thing. It's like, if there's if there's stuff going on, if we're on a journey, like just acknowledge where you're at and make a plan. Start somewhere. Talk to other people. Like we're so silly about money sometimes. It's all this shame and we talk to people about it. Actually, talk with one another, share with one another, make a plan and believe for change. But some of it is actually, do you know what, it's, a, it's just a behavior thing. It's like, I'm going to start. For some of us, actually, it is a heart attitude. It's a shift in heart, and it's, you know, maybe where I found myself. And if, I, if I'm not careful, I can find myself going back where I will obey the spirit, the letter of the law, but I'm missing the heart. And actually, I'm like, well, I'm doing this. I'm, you know, I've tithed for years, but honestly, kind of begrudgingly. It's like, actually, we're, it's the whole camel and gnats thing, isn't it? It's like, do you know what? We're missing it. Actually, don't, don't stop tithing, but let God get hold of your heart. He's way more after your heart than your bank account. Okay, so for some people, it's a heart attitude shift. For others, it's a renewing in our thinking. And actually, our mindset is of poverty, is expecting it not to work out. It's that, uh, you know, I've, I've always struggled in my finances. It's never going to be any different. You know, you know and even, a, even that thinking, well, God doesn't want to bless me. Actually, that is for other people and not me. Or actually, it's a fear-driven, actually, approach. Maybe even, we, you know, we tithe, but we're like, well, I'm tithing because I want to avoid bad things will happen if I don't. 
like, it's, like fear is a very effective motivator, but it's horrible and it's definitely not the kingdom we're in. Right? Romans 5. Length of Romans three times this service. My favorite, if you've not known me long, Romans is my favorite place. Romans chapter five in the Phillips translation has this beautiful phrase where it says, for the, talking about actually what God's done and what Jesus has done for us, it says, and now grace is the ruling factor. I want that to be our journey, that in our finances, in our giving as individuals, couples, families, a church family, that we position ourselves to receive and to steward the spiritual riches that God wants to give us, but it's out of a grace being the ruling factor in our finances that's what we're after grace to empower us to give and to be generous and to trust the lord is that all right would you stand i'd love us to pray for one another